0: Isn't that a powerful thought? When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Only you, Father, are able to do that. See little shepherd boys and girls like us. And see something down deep beneath that exterior that promises a partnership with the King of Kings. Teach us today. How we can we can partner with you in that very mission. In these times of the Issachar factor, teach us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we wrap this a little mini-series, The Issachar Factor. I'm thinking about a paradox that a Greek philosopher named Zeno of Eleia, 5th century B.C. He came up with this paradox. And I'm thinking Issachar Factor. He says, or he said, that if you travel every day halfway to your destination, you will never reach Your destination. Think about that. Because every day, there'll be just a little more you have to go. I'm thinking Issachar factor. I'm thinking of this unlikely little tribe tucked away in the tribes of Israel. And I'm thinking of their accumulation of knowledge. Could it be the same way? No matter how much knowledge you accumulate every day, there'll be more. I want to come full circle with that as we wrap up this little three-part mini-series by going back to our theme text. Go back to uh, First Chronicles with me, will you? First Chronicles 12, some of you are joining us today for the first time. We're delighted to have you. So here's the text. We have been brooding over this text, our last time in this theme text, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible today, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. You have got to track this one. This is the capstone to our three-piece mini-series. Let's go to the theme text. It'll be If you grab the Pew Bible, it'll be the same translation that I'll be reading from this morning, the New King James. And if, it's, if you're in the Pew Bible, that would be page 285. So young David, by the way, the shepherd boy becomes king. That's what's happening in 1 Chronicles 12. The boy has become a king, and it lists now the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and how each of them is having, is stepping forward, providing support for the brand new young monarch. Everybody else saw a shepherd boy, but God saw a king. Alright? So, tucked in the way, it, tucked in the middle of this list comes this obscure tribe, Issachar. Verse 32. Notice the identification marker that Issachar is given. Oh, I wish this marker would be true of me. I wish it it would be true of you, Jeremy, as well. Issachar factor. can be true. It can be for all of us. Okay, this is verse 32, 1 Chronicles 12. And of the sons of Issachar. Now, notice the ID marker. Who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. This uncanny, this prescient ability of a tiny little tribe in Israel to understand the times and to know what Israel ought therefore to do was obviously predicated upon an analysis of accumulating information and knowledge. Now remember the paradox, there's always going to be more. So here's the question, how much knowledge is sufficient to begin to make analyses of the world in which we're living right now? If I exercise this Issachar factor, how much knowledge do I need to have? I would love to know what the sons of Issachar would do with this very week, this paradigm-shifting week on the planet. You have the president of the mightiest nation on earth stepping behind the dais in the heart of a major Islamic university, which is in the heart of a major Islamic city, which is in the heart of a major Islamic nation which is in the heart of Arab Muslim the Arab Muslims the world over President Obama steps up to that lectern and for 55 minutes he lectures 1.3 billion Muslims his lecture interrupted over 40 times by applause What's going on? I'd love to know what the sons of Issachar would do with that one. What does it mean? How does this play into the times you and I have been gifted, privileged by God to live? For our final Issachar factor, brooding. This ability ability to understand the times and then to know how to respond accordingly. Let's not go to a president. Let's go to a king. Let's, Let's not go to the world of Islam. Let's go to the world of Israel. One line. From an old, bitter, sweet, melancholy king. Book of Chronicles. Here's the line. Let's find it. Chronicles chapter 12. Look at if you've grown up in a community of faith, 1 uh, Chronicles 12 is not going to be a surprise to you. Some of you may have never read the words before. That's all right. I want you to blow the dust off of this ancient line. First, uh, this is Ecclesiastes 12. I'm sorry I said First Chronicles 12, but now we're going to Ecclesiastes 12. Kind of threw you there. Sorry about that. Ecclesiastes 12, all right? Written by this embittered king. This soliloquy at the end of life. This is King Solomon, of course. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that would be page uh, 454 in your pew Bible. Take a look at this line as we wrap this little mini-series. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Many of you have read this line before. Let me read it again. I'll put it on the screen for you. Remember now your Creator... In the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, that 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 line is so familiar to so many of us that it absolutely has no effect at all. And so here's what I need to do. You're not allowed to do this right there at the end of the apocalypse. It says at the end of the Bible, God will bring the plagues upon anybody who adds a word or takes a word from Holy Scripture. So I don't want to do that. I want to simply invert. It doesn't say a word about switching words I want to switch two words. I think we'll be okay. But you're going to need your study guide to do this. We've got to see it in the study guide. And so thank you, ushers, for making sure that everybody here gets a study guide. If you came in, uh, several of you with one worship bulletin, hold your hand up. Our ushers will make sure, all the way up into the balcony, please. Our ushers will make sure that you get this study guide. Keep your hand up. They'll make their way down. Towards you And those of you who are watching on television, we're delighted to have you. We're wrapping up uh, this mini-series. Glad you're here for part three. Let me put it on the screen for you, our website. Because if you go to our website, you'll be able to get the same study guide. You see it on your screen right now. Right there at the bottom of the screen, www.pmchurch.tv. And by the way, all our visitors who are here, you can connect with us anywhere on earth through that website. And every teaching we share is sitting there for you at your leisure To peruse and ponder, you can get the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and they'll come to you 24-7 when they're available. All right, but uh, those watching on television, look for the word study guide for part three. It's part three we're looking for. You see the word study guide, click onto that, and you will have the same study guide we have. Now, some of you looked at the study guide before we began. You said, oh, there's obviously a typographical error because the identical sentence with the two same blanks in the two same places are there. Somebody slipped up and accidentally copied it a second time. No, nope, that, that's, that's intentional. All right? So let's fill it out first. Let's fill out the first uh, set of blanks. The, the proper reading of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not want to downplay for a moment the, the, the significance of just the way the line reads. God says, listen, I want to tell you something. When you are young, It's the perfect time to remember your Creator. Now look, most of our college kids have gone for the summer, but we've got a lot of young adults here still. I see you out there. You were chosen by God. It doesn't matter how your life is progressing right now. It doesn't matter how the lack of guidance, the lack of a sense of destiny you're living with right now. Forget it. You're alive today because God willed you into existence. The point of this wise king... Embittered at the end of his life after wine, women, and song and realizing that that isn't even enough. The point of the king is when you're young, remember the creator created you, called you into existence. You're here for a dream. You're here for a vision. God has a destiny for you. That's great just the way it reads, but I need to, I need to switch it around. So would you now fill it out, please? Let's, let's ponder for this final Issachar factor piece. Let's ponder it this way. Remember now your youth in the day of your Creator. Switch the words around, will you please? And write them in. And so that the the inverted text, the entire text would read this way. Let's put it on the screen, please. Remember now your youth in the days of your Creator before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, Whoa, I am not getting much out of this at all. Now, Solomon's point is this is a soliloquy of growing old and the very next verses describe the body physically falling apart. He says, bummer. I understand he's concerned about aging. But as I brood over the Issachar factor and this one line inverted, I'm concerned about the aging. I'm concerned about the dangerous aging of our civilization. In fact, let me tell you something. The word for for difficult right here, before the difficult days come, the actual Hebrew word is evil. In fact, the last time it's used in the Old Testament is just one page back. Ecclesiastes, just turn a page back. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 12. Notice this. Very clearly there, the context, it's evil. The word is to be translated evil. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 12. For man also does not know his time. Uh, uh, the, obviously, they don't have the Issachar factor. Whoever these people are that don't know their times do not have the Issachar factor. The Issachar factor means you will know your time. You will then know how to respond to your time. But Solomon says not everybody knows, for man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons and daughters of men are snared in an evil, there it is, same word, in an evil time when it falls suddenly. And I must tell you, I'm much more enamored by that word suddenly than attracted to that word evil. When it falls suddenly, suddenly upon me. What does suddenly mean? What does suddenly mean? Suddenly is what happened late Sunday night somewhere over the Atlantic. As that ill-fated Air France flight 447 suddenly, suddenly disappeared. You saw it in my blog today. Scientists are calling it this intertropical convergence zone, a, a nearly continuous band of colliding weather systems that stretches across the Atlantic, At the equator, from Africa all the way across to South America. Apparently, this this ICZ is the hotbed of some of the Earth's most violent storms. Those thunderheads can stretch from sea level up to 60,000 feet. Colliding weather systems, leading some to speculate that the aircraft flew into that brewing meteorological cauldron and suffered a catastrophic event that snuffed it off the radar screen, out of life, gone. And by the way, the debris they found this week, it's not, it's not Air France debris. We have no idea where that plane went down. 228 people gone. You're sleeping. Look, at, I'm flying to Italy tomorrow. I have to fly overnight across the Atlantic. I'm thinking about this. You're sound asleep. And the next thing you know, all hell breaks loose. The electrical system shuts down. We did get that computer notification. Boom. And now you're flying down. You can't imagine. Suddenly... That's what suddenly means. Like that. That's what suddenly means. The wise King Solomon ruefully reminds us that there is a wild card in the hand of fate. And it is a wild card that the sons and daughters of Issachar today must be acutely cognizant of if we're going to give correct analysis to this generation. Would you jot it down, please? Here's the wild card. Regarding the Issachar factors, understanding the signs of the times, the wild card in God's hand is called suddenly. Just write it down, suddenly. That word is not unique to Ecclesiastes, as we're going to note just now. But write it down. The wild card in the hand of fate, call it in the hand of God, is the card suddenly. When that card is played, suddenly, the human paradigm shifts, irrevocably shifts. Never forget that in the hand is a wild card entitled suddenly. Let's go to the New Testament. New Testament corroborates the very crucial point that Solomon is making for our Issachar factor kind of thinking. Go to the First Thessalonians in the New Testament. Take a look at this. If you're using your Pew Bible, it'll be page 796. First Thessalonians. Can't miss it here. Cannot miss it. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's pick it up in verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons. Alright? You want to know about the times that we're living in? Concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that would be Christ's return. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then suddenly, suddenly. The NIV translates it suddenly. New King James says sudden destruction sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. I need to tell you about... Oh, but First fill it in. When they say peace and safety, then sudden, the New King James, then sudden destruction comes upon them. I do need to tell you that this thief, this thief in a night simile... Some people read that and they say, Ah, that means Jesus is coming secretly. No, it doesn't mean that Jesus is coming secretly. It means Jesus is coming unexpectedly. How could... Because Paul illustrates it with a woman in labor. Is it a secret to the woman in labor that she's in labor? No, it is not a secret. She knows very well what is happening. You can't talk about secret. It's unexpected. I didn't think I was having the baby right now, Rebecca. Suddenly. Suddenly. The only only other place, by the way, that this Greek word is used... In the New Testament is in the words of Christ describing his second coming. We'll put it on the screen for you. Luke 21, verse 34. Jesus says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day, capital D day, is the Lord's day. It's always the return of Christ. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. Notice the last line now. For it will come as a snare. On all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. The identical language that Solomon uses. They're caught in a snare. They're entrapped. And suddenly, Christ uses to say, "To say that's the way it'll be when I return. In fact, would you jot that down, please? But Jesus speaking here. But take heed, lest that day come upon you unexpectedly. Same word as suddenly. Like a trap. Identical language from the wise King Solomon. Clearly, ladies and gentlemen, the Issachar factor... Preciently calculates its understanding of the times by remembering the wild card in God's hand, and that card is called suddenly. The reason this is so important, is because some of you think you got things figured out. You're saying, I can see these trends. I know where things are going, and, you know, and actually things are improving now. Just remember, no matter how the trends may appear, there's a wild card in the hand of fate, and it is sudden, and when it is played, the whole paradigm is permanently shifted. Do you ever wake up? Do you ever wake, happened, this is happened to you? I know. You wake up in the middle of the night, feeling all refreshed and like, man, I've slept the whole night. <sighs> Must be getting closer. And you look at the clock. Oh, good night. It's time for more good night. Isn't that, isn't that just awful? You think you're ready to get up. Well, this happened to me this week, Monday. I woke up feeling refreshed, and then I looked at the clock and I said, Oh no, three something. Please. I knew that if I stayed in bed, I'd be tossing and turning and I would wake Karen up. So I said, okay, I'll get up. Went downstairs. I keep a blanket down there in my study and wrapped up in that blanket in the dark. And I decided to have some time to pray. Now I understand. I don't believe that the messages or strong impressions that God gives me are necessarily intended for you. I understand that. We all have our prayer lives. We commune with God accordingly. You commune with Him the way you do, and I do as well. But I must tell you that as I I prayed there in the darkness, I was praying, among other uh, prayer focuses, I was praying for the Sissachar factor. Not just for me. I'm praying for you. It's no good if just one person has an Sissachar factor ability to discern. So I'm praying that God will give it to all of us. That we will will be a community that is able to accurately know the times and then know how to respond accordingly. So while I'm praying, this impression, you know, this, this, this sense came to me. That no matter how you read the tea leaves today. Because I can say one thing and you can come along and say, I got this from the web and it's the exact opposite. I understand how that works. But no matter how the tea leaves might read today, there is the inescapable reality that human society, as we know it, is headed like the ill-fated flight 447 into a maelstrom on this planet. We're too low on the horizon of time. We cannot see it. But if I read and study my Bible correctly, and I believe I do, then before the return of Christ, there will be a massive global crisis. That will draw every nation on earth into it. Look, at that. that's not rocket science. It's not like, whoa, Dwight, great revelation. The Bible has been saying that. But I'm now realizing that in the hand of faith is a card that can literally overnight shift the paradigm. Jesus is making the point, of course, very clearly. And I want you to not read it on the screen, but see it in your own Bible. So go back to what's called the Little Apocalypse. This is the Signs of the Times, chapter Matthew 24. Jesus is making the point. Take a look at this. Then I want to share something that came to me, just that was sent to me this last week. I'll share it with you. See what you think. This is Matthew 24. Go to uh, verse 37. Red letter words, if you have a red letter Bible. Jesus speaking here. Matthew 24, verse 37, page 668. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood... Now watch this. As in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Anything wrong with eating and drinking? Nope. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Anything wrong with marrying and giving in marriage? Of course not. Life as usual is proceeding. That's the point. They were were marrying and giving in marriage until the day Until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Ladies and gentlemen, the card, the wild card suddenly got suddenly played. And it was over. Everything was just going on. Hunky-dory. Wow, this is a great life, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like the economy's coming up. Hey, high five on that. Boom. That's the point. That's the point. Matthew Henry, boy, there's a line. Though God bear a great while, He will not bear always. What we get by with today may face curtains tomorrow. That's the point. No in the flood. Wild card. Sodom and Gomorrah. Overnight. Wild card. Just like that. Overnight. September 11, 2001, just like that, wild card. Life forever on this planet has changed. We can never go back. In your dreams, that's Jesus' point. You want to talk about an earthquake? Could happen. You want to talk about a hurricane? We've seen it happen. You want to talk about a tsunami? Pick it. pick. Take your pick. Mother nature, political nature, it doesn't matter. Overnight, the paradigm shifts. Now, here's the question. Could it happen? Here's where I'm going. All right. Could it happen economically? Could it happen economically? So I subscribed to two financial newsletters, one of which included a 24-page paper that came to me just a few days ago, written by Horace Brock. His PhD is from Princeton. His PhD is in Mathematical Economics and Political Philosophy. Harvard, and then he went to Harvard, then to Princeton. He's become an economist. 24-page paper was included in this financial uh, newsletter I get, so I I, I ran the paper off and read it. I want to read just just a few lines to you. Could it happen economically? So here's the deal. He's looking at the ratio between uh, debt and GDP, the debt and GDP ratio. You understand about debt. This nation, by the way, is getting further and further in debt as we sit here. You understand that. GDP, gross domestic product. That's how they measure Earth's economic boost the world over. Every nation has a GDP. It can be in the positive. It can be in the negative. Incidentally, today, globally, it's minus 1%. Now, here is Brock's concern, that, that if our debt continues to mount and the GDP, instead of rising with the debt, descends in spite of the debt, we're looking, we're looking at a meltdown. And then he makes this, he uses words that you can understand with the Issachar factor, I immediately spot. See if you catch these words, all right? Let me read this to you. A year ago, even six months ago, the great debate centered on whether the credit market crisis would precipitate either a U.S. or global recession. A majority predicted a manageable recession in the U.S., but nowhere else with a possible exception of the U.K. Surprise, surprise. Uncertainty was great and kept increasing until recently, but no longer. The good news today is that this uncertainty has disappeared because everybody's in it now. No more uncertainty. Now listen. To wit, the G7 economies are all in in recession. The the most powerful economies on Earth are all in recession. And more astonishingly, the economy of the planet Earth is growing at about a minus 1% or less. Earnings are crumbling. Global trade, this is just two weeks ago, global trade has decreased by nearly 10%. Rising global unemployment for tokens, social unrest in many quarters. Industrial production has dropped more than ever before. And excess capacity is rising in almost all manufacturing sectors globally. Now, here is what caught my eye. All in all, we have witnessed problems that originated within the United States give rise to global scenarios that were virtually unthinkable as recently as the summer of 2008. And do so now with blinding, blinding speed. Two words. Leap off this economist's analysis of the times. Blinding. Blinding speed. When they say everything is coming up roses. Wow, this thing's turned around. Man, hallelujah. Remember the two words. Blinding speed. A hundred years ago, a century ago, these prescient words were written. Would you fill them in in your study guide, please? A hundred years ago, great changes are soon to take place in the world. And the final movements will be rapid. Blinding speed. Rapid End quote. Keep your pen moving. Beware the wild card, blinding speed, also called suddenly. Beware. Don't you factor your journey into the future without remembering there is that wild card. I'll put it off. You know, I know I want to get a little deeper with Jesus. I know I want to grow in God. But you know what? The day will come when I have a little more time. Don't put it off. Blinding speed, please, please. This isn't rocket science. Blinding speed. Oh, Dwighton, I I should be, should we be afraid? Oh, please don't be afraid. Please, please, please take a look at this. Put it in your study guide. Hallelujah. Proverbs 3, 25 and 26. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, for the Lord will be your confidence. What do you say to that? Hallelujah. You have no, you and I have no reason to fear. Sit up, Issachar. Sit up. Just remember. Understand the times. We must understand the times. But remember the whole point of Issachar is not just to understand the times, but it's also to, as a consequence of that careful analysis to determine how we should move, what we should do, given the times we're in. And that's why we inverted our verse from Ecclesiastes. Let me put it back on the screen for you. Remember now your youth. In the days of your Creator, before, before this blinding speed wild card gets played, do it now. Do it now before the difficult or the evil days come. Before the massive crisis, remember your youth in the days of your Creator. Why should we remember the young? I'll tell you why. Of all congregations on earth, why we ought to remember the young. Listen to this. three thousand four hundred of them. 3,400 of them we have right here at Andrews University. All right? There's no other congregation on earth that has been entrusted with these 3,400 university students. We have sensed as a congregation, our mission is to young adults. In fact, i got, I got an email. I've got to share this with you. i got an email from one of our young adults. Freshman this last year. So he writes me. He's on summer vacation right now. But he writes, Dear Pastor Nelson, you may remember me. I sent you an email last fall asking what I could do to bring about a revival at Andrews. Your reply was a defining moment in my year. Let me quickly recap the story. Turns out, and I'm glad we have military chaplains here, it turns out he's telling me in this letter that on October 19, he enlists as a recruit for the Marine Reserves here in Michigan. As a basic uh, infantry, I think he puts it here. October 19, that's a Friday. October 20, he's sitting in the back of the balcony worshiping, with this university congregation. he's describing, he says, you were laying out a plan to accomplish the impossible, the, uh, the unattainable thing that I had dreamed about and sought for so much in my young life. A way to tell everyone about Jesus and prepare the world so that He could come back. The words you used were something like, Lord, tell me where you want me to go, and I'll go tell me what you want me to do, and I will do it. I desperately wanted to say those words. You gave an altar call, and I threw all my doubts to the wind. I said the words. I came forward and looked for ways to act on those words. That very Sabbath, I went to outreach up in Benton Harbor for the first time. It was an awesome experience, and I surfed faithfully, for every week they had it until the end of spring semester. May his tribe increase. He was 18 last fall in that balcony. Ladies and gentlemen, we have hundreds and hundreds of them on this campus. 18-year-old young man. We have a mission. And by the way, you you want to see the real number? Under the age of college, under the collegiate age, we have another 700 Young. That's 4,100. 4,100 in our parish that God says, You take care of. You prepare them for me. Remember now your youth in the days of your Creator before the difficult days come, before the meltdown. Remember them now. Wow. How can we do it? I want to end with this. Seven simple ways to make a spiritual difference. You Seven simple ways. Every one of these, these uh, Issachar factors has had a list of seven. This is the final list of seven. Jot these down, please. Number one, you want to make a difference in some young person's life? Here we go. Number one, ask God to make you a mentor to them. Ask God to make you a mentor to them. We, we brought 13 university students down into our boardroom here, and we asked them, okay, listen, what can Pioneer do for you? I, for one, I'm telling you the truth, I, I, I simply did not expect what these kids were saying. To a student. You know what they said? Here's what we want. We want you to open up your homes to us on a Friday night for worship and supper and Sabbath for dinner. And then we'd like to sit around. We value old people. And they were thinking of you. They were thinking actually of you when they were saying that. I asked them. They said, oh yeah, I met the others. <laughs> we value people with age. I just, I just would not have guessed that that would be a response. But then I'm reading this book that I ordered on Amazon.com and let me show it to you. This is Ed Stetzer's book. Take a look at this. Uh, title of the book, Lost and Found, The Younger Unchurched and the Churches That Reach Them. A book that reports on three major research projects of polling, surveys, and personal interviews. And he corroborates this point. And it's in your study guide. I'll put it on the screen for you. Here's, here's what Stetzer found. When people from an older generation invite young adults into their lives, they have that chance to mentor them. Now, watch this. This was a surprise for me. Too many young adults today have no one to turn to. Now, this part wasn't. When it comes to the tough questions of life, all right? Questions of faith, marriage, life, and work. But here's the surprise. But they also, who do they turn to for the practical questions of life? Changing my oil, preparing my taxes, making my budget work, building a resume. I never thought about that. Nobody showed me how to do it. They just want to hang. Do you know how to do this? Notice that next line. Churches that connect generations, an intergenerational church like we are. Churches that connect generations can be wonderful bodies of believers who respect each other in every facet of congregational life. End quote. Our kids said, we want to come home and just kind of sit around your table, listen to you tell stories, and draw from your wisdom. They were right. Number two, go deep with them. Number one, ask God to open your heart, open your doors. To our young. Number two, go deep with them. Listen to Stetzer again. This is amazing. Young adults are looking for and striving toward truth. They care about who they are and what they're becoming. Now, jot it down. Ankle deep does not work for them. They'd rather be over their heads as opposed to kicking around in the shallow end. End quote. You know what? We mistakenly assume that the young aren't interested in serious truth, they just want to play. That is not true. They want to go deep. They want somebody to say, listen, let's get into the Word together. I'm going over, I'm taking the uh, summary statements over to Italy with me so that I can analyze the survey that we did back in uh, the worship survey and preaching survey back in April. You would be amazed at how deep the young want to go. They don't want namby-pamby. They don't want pablum. They're into apologetics. They're into, hey, show me, teach doctrine and truth. They want to go deep. Ankle deep will not suffice. So open up your home. Open up your Sabbath school class to young adults, by the way. you got Sabbath school class, just a bunch of you sitting around, old-timers. Why don't you bring some young adults into that class? Why don't you do, really do some mentoring? All right, number three, model your values to them. Model your values to them. You know what? We are foolish to think that we must dress like them, talk like them, behave like them in order to influence them. That is so far from the truth. Guess what? It's the other way around. They want us old fuddy-duddies to be able to articulate and model the values and standards we hold high. Now, this is going to blow you out of the water. Stetzer reports in one major survey that only 31% of unchurched young adults said yes to this statement. Put it on the screen. Only one, three out of ten unchurched said, if music at church sounded similar to my favorite type of music, I would be more likely to attend. Now, let me reverse the numbers for you. Seven out of ten young adults, unchurched young adults said, I don't care about the music. You don't have to do music my way in order for me to come. Now, the way it, some music gets defended in some circles on this campus, you would think it was the other way around. Seven out of ten are saying, I've got to have the right music in order to go. They don't have to. Isn't that amazing? Hold your line. The values and standards, they expect you to model it to them. Model your values to them. Don't be afraid. Number four, draw them into community. The community of a small group. In that same survey, listen to this, 46% of the unchurched said yes to this statement. I would be willing to join a small group of people to learn more about the Bible and Jesus. Forty, what was it? What was forty-six percent of unchurched? It's higher among the church kids. Unchurched kids, don't know Jesus. Kids, I wouldn't mind being in a small group. Listen, you got a small group already. You don't have to say, "Well, I got to turn them all into young adults in order to draw more." No, you don't. They love intergenerational. So just bring them in, add them to your group. You invite them to bring a couple of their friends over and you bring a couple of your friends and you sit down on a Friday night and something can start growing there. You can start building a community. They would come back again and they come back again and again. You take them deeper in the Word of God. Listen to Stetzer again. You're going to have to fill this one in. Rather than behave, believe, belong ministry. Now I'm going to tell you what he's saying because this is the way we've done ministry for years in our community of faith. Here's the way we do it. You've got to behave right. If you behave right, you can come here. Then you've got to believe right. If you believe right, we'll let you join us. So we go behave first and then believe, and then we'll let you belong. They don't want to do it that way. They said, no. We want to belong. We'd like to... How did he put it here? We want to belong first. Then we'll decide about believing. And then we'll decide about becoming, not behaving. Just let us become. Let us become what you've become. You see, we, we get real... We get real spiritually mature. And we sit around and say, everybody now that joins this church has to be just like me. Have the same taste. Have the same spiritual level of maturity. No, we don't have to do that. Bring them in. In fact, Stetcher goes on. What's that last sentence? What this means is that an unchurched individual is immediately welcomed into the community with other Christians. By the way, he's not saying, saying... I'm not saying baptize them today. I'm just saying get them in. Get them in. Let them belong first. Then they'll come to believe... Then they'll become... Okay, number five, do ministry. Do ministry, key word, with them in church. Do ministry with them in the church. Our strategic plan here that we've been sharing with you, our Hedgehog Vision, envisions inviting young adults serving beside you in every ministry of this church. From the nursery Sabbath school on the other side of that glass to neighbor and neighbor down the street ministering to the disenfranchised of of, uh, the inner city near us. Every ministry that is being done in the Pioneer Memorial Church, every leader, eventually, our dream is, will have a shadow young adult. A shadow, two or three of them, who will shadow you, who will watch you, who will observe you, who will say, hey, show me how to do that. Teach me about that part. That's our vision. You've got to do it with them. You know what? I, we believe that the day will come when they'll leave this campus, they'll go anywhere on earth, they'll say, hey, listen, I was taught back at Pioneer. I was taught at Andrews University where I graduated. I know how to do that. I can help you there. Oh, they show me how to... I can do that too. They come as servants. They come immersed in a world of need. Number six, do service. First one was five was do ministry. This one's do service. This is a key point. Do service with them. 66, listen to these numbers, 66% of church, all right, these are the kids in church, 66, two-thirds of them, and 47% of the unchurched young adults, are writing here, rated the opportunity to meet the needs of others locally and globally as extremely important in their lives. You think about this, this is the first generation who has grown up with a real-time war. Real-time. They're watching war on TV back here at home. There's no other generation, we had to go by the news that came back. These kids can pick up a plane ticket any day of the week, and they're gone. Go for a week, go for two weeks, then they'll come home. They are inundated with Internet information. The media targeting them. They know the world. They know the global needs. And they're saying somebody's got to make a difference on this planet. And so it caught my eye. Look at this. Adventist Review just came out a few days ago. I've got to read it off the screen because I can't read the... Uh, there you go. What Jesus said about young adults... What Jesus said about young adult ministry. One of, our, uh, one of the lead authors in this story, in this piece, is Dwayne McBride, is one of our faculty here. And here's an interesting point. By the way, they discovered that when young adults get involved in service, and, and it's, in, it's pivotal that adults be in service with them. When young adults get involved in service, there is 40%, 40% of them uh, over the previous 12 months have no substance abuse, period. They are focused now on another reason. Forty percent of them, over the previous 12 months, no substance abuse at all. That's called prophylactic. That's called preventing. Wow. Do service with them in the community. This is why we have our outreach ministry up in Benton Harbor. That's why this kid that uh, sent the email to me. said, the first thing I did was out there. Good for him. And finally, I've got to ask you this. Give me the most effective age to reach a young adult. What age of a young adult is the best time to strike for the Lord Jesus Christ? The best age? 12 and under. You say, hey, come on, do I? you can't be a young adult and be 12 and under. That's precisely the point. Jot it down, will you please? the number seven, volunteer to minister to them when they're 12 or under. George Barna's seminal research, Christian demographer here in this nation. Let me put the quote on the screen for you. You'll have to fill it in. We discovered that the probability of someone embracing Jesus, as his or her Savior, was 32% for those between the ages of 5 and 12. All right? Three out of ten chance. 4%. The moment they turn 13, move into the 13 to 18 range, 4%. And then it leaps higher once they turn 19 to 6%. Can you believe that? 6% for people 19 and older. In other words, Barna goes on, if people do not embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior before they reach their teenage years, the chance of their doing so at all is slim. End quote. Isn't that amazing? You, you want to do young adult ministry? We believe that we're supposed to, what is it, motivate, mentor, and mobilize young adults the most effective age to begin that ministry. Twelve and under. Twelve and under. All, all of which leads me to say that we are right now in earnest need of some of you to volunteer to help reach these young for Christ Our nominating committee is in full swing. But they are looking for adult and young adult. And I've, some of you are young adults, so I'm talking to you right now as well. They are looking for adult and young adult leaders in our pre-primary Sabbath school. That's six years old up into the first grade. In our junior two Sabbath school, that's fifth grade. In our junior three Sabbath school, that's sixth grade. In our early teen, which is grades seven and eight. And in our Pathfinder Club. It is not that they have not tried They have made a great effort. But you know what? Some of us think that coming to church is all about us getting fed rather than us doing the feeding. And we've turned church into this place. Bring it on. Give me great music. Come on. Take me into the Word. Come on. I want a great Sabbath school class. And if I have all of that, I'm happy. This is not about you being happy. This is about a generation of young that we have to impact now before the difficult days come. We desperately need We desperately... Don't put that study guide away. Keep that study guide out, please. We desperately need young adults and adults who will say, You know what? I'm available. Some of you have sat in the same Sabbath school class as adults for 30 years. It's time to give it a break. Roll up your sleeves Go downstairs right up here with the youngest ages and help us reach these kids for Jesus. The most productive years are 5 through 12. It's all downhill after 12. It's all downhill. Did you get that? It's downhill after 12. Please. Say, Dwight, what can I do? I was hoping you'd ask. That little little tear-off, where is it? That little tear-off in the study guide? You got it there? That little tear-off? Would you mind? Yes, I'm willing to volunteer. I'd I'd, I'd be willing to be a leader or an assistant leader in in the Sabbath school. Hey, I thank God for all those in First Church who responded. I want you to respond too, please. Just jot your name down, your telephone number, your email address. That's it. We'll give it to the nominating committee. They'll be in touch with you. Nobody's going to be drafted, forced, conscripted. you get a chance to say, "Ah, I'm not really into that one. How about, do you have anything here? Yep, we do. We desperately need you to help. So right now, would you tear that off? Right now. Fill it out. Give it to me afterwards. Give it to any church officer you see standing. Give it to one of the ushers. It doesn't matter who you give it to. We'll make sure it gets to the, to the nominating committee. Fill it out right now. We need, we desperately need a vision. How did that song that Ryan sang a moment ago? Some people see a shepherd boy God looks into that little boy's face. God looks into that little girl's face and He says, that girl is my hero coming up. Nobody knows it. Oh, if you'd be willing to roll up your sleeves, step into our, our, our Sabbath schools for our kids. I can't, I can't imagine right now a more significant gift you could give to the Lord Jesus Christ. The very precious. And by the way, you young adults, I want to say it again. You sign up. Yeah, go ahead over the summer. We'll we'll be in touch with you. How does our inverted text go? Let's end with this. Put it back on the screen, please. Remember our youth. We must remember our youth in the days of our Creator before the difficult and evil days come. Are we on the verge of a stupendous crisis, as one author puts it? I believe we are. I'm giving you no timeline. I have no timeline clue. But I believe we're on on the verge. There is a wild card in the hand of fate. It's called blinding speed. It's called suddenly like that. Life will change. We have before the difficult days come. We must, sons and daughters, not of Issachar, forget Issachar. We are sons and daughters of God. We must seize this moment. Grab these kids. Point them to Jesus and say, Jesus, please do whatever it takes. Save our young. In the words of the poet, give of your best to the master. Give of the strength of your youth clad in salvation's full armor, join in the battle of truth. Tear that little stub off, please. Hand it in. We need you. God needs you. The time is right. We're living near the edge. We've got to save this generation.